Amen. Thank you, Gina, Aiden, Zena, and David for leading us in worship. Good morning. My name is Nathan, and I am the youth pastor here at Central Heights. And today's message is about planning. And I just want to say I had some significantly bad planning this weekend. I tried out the Abbey Grind for the first time. And I never thought that I would be so sad to see four stairs in order to get onto a stage. But if you see me hobbling around today, it's because I'm quite stiff and I'm not used to walking around or uphill that much. Um, But we are continuing our series in the book of James, a book that talks about real faith, what it looks like when the transformative work of Jesus actually comes into this world today and people live out and embody and represent Jesus into this world. I'd like to begin today with a question, though. What time did you get here this morning? Now, if you were to tell me that you arrived here a little bit early or on time, I would begin to assume certain things about your personality. I'd begin to assume you're probably a little bit more organized, a bit of a planner, maybe you are more structured in life, perhaps even type A, and that you maybe struggle when things don't go according to plan. Alternatively, if you were to tell me that you showed up a little bit late, I would assume other things about you, that you are a little bit less structured, more relaxed, go with the flow, perhaps type B, maybe even a procrastinator. Now, before all of the people who showed up late today feel the need to defend themselves and justify why they're late, um, obviously this is a massive generalization, obviously this is not true on a case-by-case basis, but... You can understand why I would assume these certain characteristics about people. Here's my point. I think that schedules are windows into the soul. I think that the way that we structure our lives reveals something about who we are. It reveals our hearts. It reveals our priorities. If you take the schedule of someone who's Purpose in life is to get more money. Their schedule will reflect that. If you value school or work or family or your relationship with Jesus, your schedule should reflect that. And so we come to our text today in James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. If you have a Bible or device, please turn with me to James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. We come to this text because James sees to his audience, to the people he's speaking to, he sees that people have used these schedules and he looks into them and he sees, you know what, your priorities are not actually aligned with the God of this universe. So he speaks into that, and some of his words will come across as harsh, harsh, but know this. The reason James speaks so strongly against what maybe seems like something so small and not that big of a deal is because the way that we structure and schedule our lives has significant implications for how we live in this world. So, let's begin. James chapter 4, verse 13. James has these words, uh, kind of a narration of a certain made-up character, probably representative of the people he's speaking to, we will call this person the traveler, not because uh, traveling's bad. James does not agree with what the traveler says. Not because traveling's bad, and I just feel the obligation to say that because 
this is the August long weekend, and many people who would typically be with us have decided to travel somewhere else and spend their Sunday somewhere else. Not us, though. We are the faithful few. Um, no, just it, I'm going to be referring to, to the traveler a lot, so it'll be simpler for us. And so in verse 13, it says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade, and make a profit. The traveler begins, I just want to note this really quickly. Traveler sentence begins by mentioning today or tomorrow. Now or in the future. In this present moment or later on down the road. All I want to pause here and say is that for James, it's important to mention that the planning and the scheduling of our lives has implications both for how we live right now and for how we think about the future. In James's eyes, this teaching, this passage has implications for every aspect of our lives for the rest of our lives. And we'll see that to James, this is actually something that will transform us and hopefully transform the world. Today or tomorrow, he says, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. In the rest of the traveler's words, there are three potential pitfalls of scheduling and planning that are given. The first one, I believe, is the fact that we can ignore our present circumstances. So the traveler says, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town. In order for the traveler's life to be fulfilled or to find fulfillment, he has this desire to go somewhere else. I think this speaks to the human tendency for us to think about what it would look like for our lives to be better in a different situation, a different town with a different job and a different relationship, on a vacation. Whatever it is, it always feels like the grass is greener on the other side. And we can miss the fact that God is at work right here, right now. So the first potential pitfall that the traveler reveals to us is that we will ignore our present circumstances. Secondly, the traveler shows us that we can sometimes live with rigid specificity. It says that today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. I love this because there's nothing in the context that necessitates for the traveler to be gone for a year. It could be one month, could be two months, could be two years. And yet kind of nonchalantly, the traveler insists it must be one year. And the words rigid specificity I think are pretty strong and perhaps communicate uh, harshness. But here's, here's, I think that we see in the traveler's words the way that this typically comes into our lives. It's pretty subtle and nonchalant. So for myself, I would like to believe that I'm a pretty open-handed person. Sure, I have ideas about what I want to do in life, and I have plans or visions about what could happen. But to me, I'm a fairly open-handed person. The past few months, however, Pretty much every significant person in my life has said, you know what, Nathan, I think you need to live a little bit more open-handed and trust that God might be uh, taking you in a different direction than you plan. Uh, I cannot tell you how many texts are on my phone of people saying, uh, I'm not so sure about the plans that you have. Not that they're wrong, but just the way that you hold them so tightly. 
And I think this is how the, the way that this rigid specificity can fit into our lives is it's really subtle, really slow, and perhaps not even visible to us. It becomes something that we just slowly have this idea of, I might go on this trip, I might go to this school, and suddenly we become the sort of people where we're so fixated on a certain path in our lives that when other things come at us, we don't actually know how to respond. And so James speaks against rigid specificity, but I think the biggest pitfall that James is most worried about is misguided purpose. He says, the traveler says, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. The traveler reveals what is most important to him. The traveler reveals the purpose for this trip. And the purpose for why he would want to do anything. What his vision, what his eyes are set on. To trade and to make a profit. James speaks throughout his letter very specifically against the love of money and the desire to have more. To get more. And perhaps you are exhausted of having someone stand on a stage and talk about the cultural moment we're in with consumerism and how everyone wants to just have more money. That's all we're here for. But I just realized a few years ago how pervasive this was or this is in our society just as it was in James's age. So I spent a summer working at a styrofoam production plant, which let me tell you, that was not something that was in my plans. A styrofoam production plant. Um, I don't think anybody intends to work there. Uh, there the the it was a rotating door. I think the average lifespan of someone there was about a year and a half and then off to something else. But my title there was hot wire operator. Yeah, which is probably top 10 of my favorite job titles I've ever had in my life. Um, everyone else was just a wire operator because they, they saw me. They saw me walk through the door and said, this guy could be a wire operator. But they saw me and said, hot wire operator. No, it was, it was a really simple job. It was just styrofoam was put on a conveyor belt, and there were hot wires that would cut it. And that's what we did, is we just would adjust a wire one inch up and one inch down the entire day. What a thrill of a ride that job was. One break, I'm talking to my coworker, Jake, and just kind of asking him, a uh, typical question I ask my coworkers, Jake, you're not going to be here the rest of your life. Nobody is. So tell me what it is that you want to do. And Jake starts talking about how he's been putting in all these hours and really just trying to get his head down and trying to work overtime, has lots of money saved up now. And so I'm waiting, of course, okay, so this is going to lead. You have this big vision to buy a new house or buy a new car or head on this sweet vacation, whatever it is. And... I was expecting that sort of level of consumerism, but Jake just stopped. He actually had nothing further planned for his life. He was working so he could get more money, and that was it. That was the end goal. Mission accomplished. I have lots of money. And I was just struck there. I was confused thinking, you don't even want to use it for anything. 
And that was when I realized the extent to which, as a culture, we bought into the belief that money is value. Money is what matters most. I'm going to say this later on today. I think when we hear these these things that are influencing us around us, it's not a question about whether or not we've bought into it. It's a question about the extent to which we've bought into this. The extent to which we value money and possessions more than the things of the kingdom of God. So, we value an education. We want to go to a good school to get a good job so we can provide for our family and live in comfort and security. We want to have a good home or a nice car. We want to have a good pay grade at our occupation. We want to be able to go on a good vacation. We want to be proud of these things. And bit by bit, the things that we value most are things that our culture values most. Slowly and subtly, this begins to transform that the, way, the way that we think, the way that we live, and the way that we schedule our lives. Here's how James responds to this. In verse 14, You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So when we think about the three potential pitfalls, how is it that James responds to each of them? Well, to the one who ignores the present circumstances, James says that we do not know what tomorrow will bring. All we have is this present moment. The moments that matter the most are the ones that we are currently experiencing right now the one who acts with rigid specificity. James that says that we are a mist. Mist that moves and flows with what's going on and might think it is moving in a certain direction, but through the breath of God can easily be pushed somewhere else. And to the one who lives with misguided purpose, James says that we are a mist that vanishes. We're only here for a little while. And so if we spend that time valuing possessions, valuing wealth and financial prosperity, these are things that do not last in God's intentions for humanity. So before we move on, I would just like us to pause Look at these pitfalls and ask, which of them has become an issue in our lives? Are we people who ignore our present circumstances? Are we people who think purely about the future or mostly about the future and forget that God is at work right here, right now? Are we people who live with rigid specificity, holding so tightly to what we think is best that when plans change and God directs us in a different direction, we respond with bitterness and frustration? Are we people who live with misguided purpose, where when we look at the way that we've organized our lives, it is clear 
what we value most is the exact same as what everyone else in this world values most. The things that culture tell us to value most, where we value financial prosperity. If one of those or multiple of those have stuck out to you, this is actually a good thing. Because this is exactly how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit works to reveal what it is that's going on in our lives that need correction and need redirection and then guides us into the new beautiful life that Jesus offers. The life of true flourishing, the life of true prosperity, the life that all people seek. And so James offers that. He offers a new way to plan and to schedule our lives in verse 15. It says this, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Note this. James is not against planning. There's a reason this sermon is titled Planning with God. It's really easy to use this passage to speak to something where we just shouldn't plan at all and we should just kind of leave it all up to God. That's not actually James's intent. In verse 15 here, he leaves space to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. He has an idea in mind of what life could look like. But he's very specific about how to go about that planning. So again, we're going to operate in three sections here. James begins by saying, if the Lord wills. He doesn't go into details. He doesn't go into scheduling. He doesn't go into that yet. He starts by saying, if the Lord wills, because to James, nothing in life is possible without that foundation. For James... Planning and scheduling begin with God as the foundation. Then he says, if the Lord wills, we will live. Again, not entering into details. Again, not entering into specifics. But recognizing that God being the foundation impacts every area of life. It impacts our work lives, our family lives, our school lives, our friendships. It impacts all of it. So to James, number one, God is the foundation, and two, he is all-encompassing. And then thirdly, he says, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. This would be where we would expect James to offer the pro tip or the little tricks that we can use to help schedule our lives. But he doesn't. He really opens it up. For James, everything else has already been said that needs to be said about how we schedule and plan our lives. Essentially, to James, there's three things we need to understand when we schedule. God is the foundation. He is all-encompassing. And everything else comes after. God is the foundation. He is all-encompassing. Everything else comes after. I think James's response to the way that people schedule and plan really can challenge us on what we expect from this story, from Scripture, from the Bible. You see, if we're coming to Scripture expecting 
lifestyle management, little tricks, the hidden secrets that the Bible can offer, that's actually a different picture than what it was originally intended to give us. The New Testament authors, in fact, I think the Old Testament authors too, were writing to offer a new way of being, a way of life that was oriented around the person of Jesus, that will transform individuals, that will transform people from the inside out, and thus will transform all of society. As we here at Central Heights put it, that will contribute to the flourishing of the city and our world. So for James, little tips and tricks aren't going to be enough. What is needed is an entirely different way of thinking, an entirely different way of living that will challenge the way that our world naturally wants to operate. And just like James's day, I think that this is so different to think this way, that God is the foundation, he is all-encompassing. I think that completely challenges the way that we naturally want to live. Uh, scholar Kent Hughes um, has this to say about our present cultural moment. He says this, The nations have come together for a noble pursuit, the peace and prosperity of all mankind, but without any reference to God. Indeed, there is a calculated indifference to God, even a skepticism about his existence. Our brave new pleasure-dominated pleasure-seeking world is increasingly filled with people who live their lives with no reference to God. Strong words. Hughes actually writ the, wrote this 30 years ago. But it feels just as true in this moment. And the reason Hughes writes it is because he is also talking about this passage in James and argues that what is needed is people whose schedules, whose plans are so representative of the person of Jesus that people around could view the schedules of people's lives and recognize there is something different about you. Because to James, this is not just an issue for people who are beyond the boundaries of what we would call Christianity or the church. This is representative, this is an issue that exists here for all of us in this room today. Speaking to the audience, speaking to Christians, he says in verse 16, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. The wording, that's kind of awkward. So here, let me paraphrase a little bit what James is saying. As it is, the things you are most proud of are selfish, self-oriented, self-loving, and all about yourself. Again, very strong words. But hear this. The only reason James says this is because he sees in the people that he's speaking to, and I believe continues to be true today, people that have scheduled and have planned their lives in such a way that does not contribute to the fullness of life that Jesus offers. Jesus desires for all people to experience fullness of life in relationship with him. But somehow we've missed it. Somehow we have walked in a path that is counter 
to Jesus' intentions, and more we have embraced what it is that culture suggests is best. Jesus wants us not to just think about the beauty of life with God. He wants us to genuinely experience it. And here's why I think James thinks this is so important. I think the way that we can recognize whether or not we've bought into culture, or perhaps more accurately, the extent to which we've bought into this cultural lie is through a schedule. Is through evaluating our plans. Final verse James has is, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. For James, it's not just about thinking. It's not just about hearing. It's about actually putting into practice what it is that he's telling these people. I think the same rings true for us. I think James's desire is that we would genuinely take the schedules of our lives. Now, you might not be actually a schedule sort of person. You might not be the sort of person who actually has an idea, like, bit by bit, this is what's going to happen in my day. And that's fine. But we all operate with some sort of schedule and some sort of plan. Whether or not we realize it, we have rhythms and patterns that we fall into. So the challenge for us as we leave this place is to think about what it would look like to evaluate our schedules and evaluate our plans, whether short-term or long-term, to see whether they accomplish these three things, the three counterpoints to the pitfalls we mentioned earlier. Rather than ignoring our present circumstances, we need a schedule that allows us to be present. We need plans that are open and breathable. And allow us to recognize what it is that God is doing right here, right now. We need the ability to perceive the Holy Spirit's direction in any given moment. We need to allow ourselves to recognize there might be someone we need to talk to now and not be so devoted to what's going on that we are just pushing through, putting our heads down, ignoring what is happening now. We need to be present. Secondly, when we evaluate our schedules, we will challenge the rigid specificity of our lives by being flexible. We will allow ourselves to plan and to schedule and to have ideas, but when life changes and circumstances change, we will not allow ourselves to be filled with bitterness and anger and frustration. We will rather respond with openness and excitement for the fact that God is on the move and has even greater things in store. A friend of mine says this line frequently, hold loosely to circumstance, Hold tightly to Jesus. Hold loosely to circumstance. Hold tightly to Jesus. And thirdly, we will challenge the misguided purpose of our cultural moment by being intentional. If you're not sure what it is that your schedule is purposed towards, if you're not sure what it is that you're planning towards, ask the people around you. Ask the people around you to see what it is that you spend most of your time doing. It might be sobering. It might be hard. But begin to envision 
a life that begins and ends with the fact that God is the foundation and he is all-encompassing. This doesn't mean to ignore work or to ignore school. That's, that's not the way our God works. He's created us to live in this world in this, in this way. But he's created us so that work is not the foundation of our lives. It is a servant to God. It is something we do in obedience to Jesus. So we will have schedules that are present, that are flexible, and that are intentional. And I think James believes, as, as I think we should, that not just, I began today by saying window, or, uh, schedules are windows into the soul. I began today by saying that. I don't think it's just that schedules reveal what it is that happens in our lives. I think what James is suggesting is that schedules also have the, in, the ability to influence what is most important to us. That if we were to change our schedule, really small things. This can be as practical as in, including intentional time with Jesus in the morning, in, incorporating a Sabbath into our lives, praying throughout our day at work or at school, whatever it is, really small things. I think this can actually begin to change our heart posture, transform the way that we live, transform our hearts, and focus us on Jesus. And so finally, I think the word that James has for us is this. If we do not plan with God, we will live without him. If we do not plan with God, we will live without him. So Father, as we consider the way that you have called us to live in holistic obedience, in every area of our lives, to experience fullness of life in Jesus, would you show us how to do that in something as small as our schedules, something as big as our plans. Help us to be present. Help us to be flexible. Help us to be intentional. And help us to live in such a way that represents your character and your love throughout our lives. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.